and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I'm so glad you're here today. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited for you to meet my guest, Dr. Kizzy Parks, today. She is such a wonderful person and has so much energy. She is the founder of two companies, K Parks Consulting, which is a government contracting agency that serves uh, the United States federal government by providing contract staffing services, professional and IT services, training, curriculum development, and a whole slew of other things. And she recently started GovCon Winners, uh, where she's helping small businesses learn how to win profitable government contracts through her approach, which she's really, really, really good at managing government contracts. She knew that she wanted to become an entrepreneur at a young age. In fact, she tells a story about how she would basically sell golf balls back to golfers when she was a kid and how her family really inspired her entrepreneurial spirit, even though she was adopted and didn't know her blood lineage family, they still had a big impact on her. And she talks about what it's like to start out without really knowing what she was doing in the government contracting world, building a highly successful company and, uh, and really making a big difference in the lives of her customers and her employees. We talk about how to effectively create an organic diversity and inclusion program. We talk about leadership. We talk about all kinds of fun things. And I think you're just going to love her. It's a really, really fun interview. Hang tight and I'll be right back with Kizzy. All right. Welcome back, everyone. I am so excited for you to meet Dr. Kizzy Parks. Kizzy, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So I told everybody about you in the pre-show, but I want to hear from you. Uh, tell us about your consulting firm and all of the really amazing things that you do to help your clients. Yes. So what's lovely is I own several companies. So I'll talk about the main company that made it all possible and then briefly talk about the new one. So the main company that made everything possible is K Parks Consulting. And we provide a variety of professional services like training, inspection, staffing, and IT to the federal government. And I have team members located all over the United States. And then I started GovCon Winners recently to help, you know, coach, train people, business owners who are interested in selling to the federal government, but they may not know how to find, bid, and win federal contracts. And so I'm based in Florida, provide services all over the place. And I've been doing this for over uh, 10 years and been awarded over $15 million in federal contracts. That's amazing. What is your secret sauce? I mean, every time I've tried to get involved in government bids, it's just like so overwhelming. It is. It's definitely overwhelming. Um, what's been helpful is I try to find opportunities where I feel like we definitely have a high likelihood of winning. So areas that are overlooked, like religious staffing or single positions or very like maybe peculiar training, things that aren't sexy. You know, nobody's like, oh man, I really want this contract for scopes to control the hog population. 
And those are things that I'm like, hey, well, why not? Why can't we sell scopes? You know, so and, and you can add a profit. So we do. We 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 can add a variety of work uh, through K Parks. That is amazing. We have a product called the Warthog and it's a sewer cleaning product. And people ask me all the time, like, why, how are you even in this industry? And I was like, because it's niche, it's really profitable. Nobody else wants to do it. So that's why I was giggling at your, (laughs) your hog contract. (laughs) It's very relatable. (laughs) So how did you get started on all of this? Did you know that this is what you wanted to do? I, you know, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur, but I thought I would earn a PhD work. And then like in my fifties or sixties, I was like, Oh, I'll be an entrepreneur. Like that's literally what I thought in my head, or I was going to become a college professor, uh, kind of have a side gig as a consultant and do that. I thought one of those two roads instead, I ended up as a graduate research fellow at now Patrick Space Force in the Central Florida area. And uh, at the end of that fellowship, the director of research approached me and he's like, I heard you're graduating soon. I would love for you to stay on as a government contractor. And I was like, what does that mean? (laughs) And so there we go. And then KPC was born a few months later. So I just kind of transitioned from some solar panure work I was doing and then rolled right into government contracting. So is that common? That just, that blows me away. You know, I had a couple classmates at the time who were in a similar situation and one of them went on and may now work at a Deloitte kind of firm. And then the other one works at like a Deloitte kind of firm. So Um, They both ended up going back into like a mainstream position. What I found is some people, when their approach was something like that, at least that I came across at this particular location, they stayed on and became what's called a full-time equivalent. So they ended up becoming an employee for the prime contractor. Mm -hmm. I instead said, look, I'm all about this. This is great. Apparently, this is the time I'm supposed to go forward and be an entrepreneur. And so I said, I want to remain as a subcontractor. I said, I do not, I will not be anyone's employee. I made that very, very clear before I even said, like, gave them 100% yes. And I took that and ended up finding a private sector client who specializes in diversity and started getting work under them and getting more a- connecting to more agencies. So I literally ran with it, built a business where others have taken it into full-time positions with government contractors. Some have even rolled it into full-time positions with the federal government. So you're a hustler, aren't you? Yes, <laughs> I am. I love that. I'm a hustler too. So I can totally appreciate that. Yeah, it's great. You see an opportunity, you're going to work for it uh, and turn and turn, you know, something small into something bigger. I'm sure it's been um, incredibly challenging, especially a small company working, you know, in the big bureaucracy of government, of government contracting. So, you know, what is that like? I find it so fascinating and amazing because at the end of the day, we, this is our way to give back to this great country. 
And um, most of our funding comes from taxpayer dollars. And so I'm very appreciative and mindful of that. So to dig deep into what is it like, every single agency, every single department and sub-department that we work with, they're different. Where some are very innovative and just go, go, go. Others, not so much. There are some <laughs> where, you know, it's things happen and you're like, wow, I never expected that. But, but you know, but here's how I look at it, because I, I hear from people, they'll say like, I'm not really sure about government, there's bureaucracy, or I really like private sector or, or whatever, fill in the blank. I like nonprofit. And here's what, this is how I look at it. Number one, the federal government will always pay you. You're usually paid net 30, sometimes net 15. If you're paid beyond net 60, you typically receive interest and is direct deposited. And while the nuances vary, at the end of the day, it's about client relations, patience, and you performing why they brought you in to begin with. It's no different than if you are working with a private sector client. You know, you have some private sector clients that'll pay net 90 or they still have bureaucracy. And then what really led you to, to start uh, GovCon winners now? Is it to help people like you in those early stages to get to the point where you are, where they can really build a great business around government contracting? Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. I noticed when the app Clubhouse came out, because I was one of the, I was probably the second wave of people who joined. I joined Clubhouse in 2020 and I was going into the rooms and I was like, wow, there's a lot of government contracting rooms. I was like, of all of the topics on there, I was like, this is different. And, I, and I'm hearing the way that they were talking. And I'm like, we don't talk like this because I've been to numerous events. I've met with so many people throughout the country because I had no background in government contracting. I went from grad student to bam, I now have a corporation, <laughs> you know? So I'm listening and I'm like, something's not right. And the thing about government contracting people may not know, it's public knowledge. So as I started to like research some of the speakers, it, I realized that they're probably all lovely, talented people, but I didn't really see any evidence of government contracts. And I thought, goodness, there's this cohort of people who have been out there for years providing some type of training or service to those in government contracting, and they've really never had a government contract. And then, and then by the way they talked, I'm like, I don't even think they really know how to manage one. And it, it really frightened me because I would go into the, their Facebook groups and you can feel the hope, like people's putting, they're putting so much hope and faith into what this person is offering. And I thought, oh my gosh, I got to do something because what I put out there and what I advise, I literally do. I do this. This is how we get contracts. I do this. And so that's what really sparked this was going into Clubhouse. And then I started to like talk to people about it. I started making some LinkedIn videos. And then without having a website at all, I got my first client. But that's why, because what I learn and what I do works, and I know that others can do the same. 
And I just want to be able to offer it to those out there so that they're not frustrated or paid $5,000 left wondering, like, when am I going to get my first government contract? And then they probably will never get one. All right. Let's switch gears a little bit. So you said earlier that you always knew you wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, how did you know that? Tell tell us the story. Yeah. So growing, so growing up, like I was a little girl and I, I just knew, like I felt it. I always knew. And so one, one thing that happened, I, at one point we lived in lovely Danville, Illinois, and I was like fifth, probably fifth grade. And my friend lived near a golf course, like her house, Rhea's house was right on this alley in between a golf course. And I would notice it was like littered with golf balls. And my grandmother was an avid golfer. So I knew that some golf balls were worth more than others. So I would take them home, clean them, leave the good ones for grandma and resell the golf balls through the fence to golfers to buy Funyuns and Nutty Bars at the corner store. And so I was just like, it was always in me. Like every, everything I would look at, I looked at from a lens of business. Like recently my aunt was telling me, she's like, I remember you were sitting here on the floor as a little girl and you were selling batteries to your brothers, you know, cause they wanted batteries for like their electronic devices. And, you know, they were like double, triple my age. And I was like hustling batteries to them. So it, it's just always have been like that. Always, always been very entrepreneurial. And so I just knew, I knew I could feel it. And what's also intriguing is I'm adopted, but I know my birth family really, really well. And so my, my maternal grandfather, um, um, my grandfather Garzaloni, he and his brothers actually started a golf course a long time ago and it's still in existence. They don't own it. They sold it, but it's still in existence. It's in the Nunica, Michigan area. So it's just so ironic about golf. And I've always felt this golf spirit too. Like I really have. And I almost joined the golf team in high school. And, uh, and, and, and that entrepreneurial spirit's there. And I think a lot of it comes from the genetic side of my grandfather because a couple of my uncles um, are entrepreneurial. And then you pair that with the family who raised me, they always encouraged it. They never, they always, it was like, okay, you're selling golf balls. Great. You want to, oh, you want to sell this other thing to try and win a prize. Okay, great. Okay. Your school wants you to sell something. Okay, great. Oh, you want to do this. Okay, great. Like they never said no. (laughs) They always encouraged it. I'm writing a book right now. And one of the paragraphs is about that support system, right? Having a tribe who believes in you and how important that is to, you know, to, in developing your passion and, and your purpose, if you didn't have them encouraging that and supporting it, then who knows, you know, you might not have ever found your pathway there, but having that support system from such a young child all the way through, you know, to being an adult, like what we are now, right. Having that support system, people cheering you on, people helping you spread the word, people becoming your clients. Like it just helps you continue to build that passion and that purpose. So it's really cool to be able to see that thread all the way back to your childhood. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, it's just, oh, it's always been there. So are you a golfer? You know, I, I'm not a golfer. I I'm open. Somebody, if anyone wants to, to give me more lessons, I've, um, 
gone to the like driving range. I took like a golf course in college. I mean, I love putt-putt. I love putt-putt. <laughs> but I don't, <laughs> as ironic as it is, given I live here in Florida, I am not big into golfing. And But I know why, because I would want lessons and I would like go all out. And at this point in time, I, I, it's, I'm not ready for that just yet. It's a commitment. My husband's a, a golfer. In fact, he's in Oregon right now, abandoned dunes golfing on a much needed golf trip for him to like get away from his uh, crazy business. And everybody asked me like, why don't you play golf? I'm like, cause I like to be good at things and it takes a long time to get good at golf and a lot of practice. And you're out there for, you know, three, four, five hours of a day. And I don't, that is not how I want to spend my time. I have other things I want to do. So <laughs> I'm with you yeah. <laughs> maybe someday down the road, but yeah, yeah. I'm like, I think the same thing, like maybe down the road, but right now, like, no, no. All right. So you've overcome a lot of challenges in your life. Uh, can you share a challenge that I don't know, or an obstacle that was, you know, the hardest to get through or that really shaped who you are as a person? Oh, there's, there's a few that, that have definitely had this impact. So the, okay. So the obstacle that has been the biggest obstacle, bigger than scammers dealt with a lot of those bigger than even like, you know, having this background of being adopted, which actually was a, a blessing. The biggest obstacle was myself mm -hmm. in the sense of when I built the company, I was the company and that happens, that happens. And, but what ended up occurring after that is I, I was coming from this place of less than, and I was coming from it from all angles. It impacted how I engaged with clients, how I brought on team members, how I paid myself. And so there was a scarcity mindset for many, many, many years, insecurity, scarcity. And it took some time to really overcome that. I'm not like that at all anymore. Change the culture of my company and just be a leader to the point where I can step back. So now I'm, I'm not involved in the day-to-day. -day. I'm in the process of turning over as much as I can turn over so I can focus more on GovCon winners. And it's made a huge difference because people were always on eggshells because I was on eggshells and insecure. And so it impacted how they were and then everybody relied on me and then anytime a client or a team member asked for something, I was like, yes, whatever, because I was scared and you can't operate like that. It's just, it's exhausting and it, it doesn't work. You know, some people think, oh, well, but you just, you've got to pay people more or you do whatever a client. No, you have to have boundaries. You have to operate like a business. So um, that's been the greatest um, challenge and it has yielded the best benefit. Because the, the, the situation had taken me to a place where with all my debt, I had like $600,000 in debt at one point. Just, just ridiculousness. I don't anymore. I got rid of it in three years. But it's just a matter of now it's like, ooh, <laughs> everything is so much better. The business is so much better. So much better. All right. So there's a lot to unpack in here. And I love this. So what, how did you, how did you get to that realization? Okay. I'm showing up in a way that's unhealthy, um, a scarcity mindset, and it's causing my employees to be scared, right? What was the trigger that made you 
recognize it? And how did you develop the tools to change it? I want to say it was a few years ago is when I really started working on it because I had a situation with an employee where this employee was very toxic and super abusive. Like I had, it's so, it's so even crazy to think today that this happened, but it was bad. It was really bad. And I eventually found out about it. And as things started to come to light and time went on, I realized that this was just a symptom of what I allowed to happen. And how can I expect anyone on the team to really give their all? And I say, I call, I say for us to be binder clips instead of paper clips, instead for us to be binder clips, how are we going to do that if I am acting like a paper clip? So what did I, what I ended up doing was I hired a couple kind of coaches. I finally found this amazing coach, Allison, out of Minnesota, worked with her for maybe a year and a half. I also joined a CEO Nexus group out of the Orlando area. This group happens to only be for women. And it, all of that helped take me to that next level. So then I made that shift, became more confident, got rid of the insecurities, but the events of that team member really opened my eyes to this is what I've allowed to happen. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Uh, it so resonates, uh, as I've looked back over my 15 years of being a CEO and all of the mistakes that I've made, almost all of them have driven from the insecurity. Even if I let my ego take over, right. It is still from that place of like, even though I'm feeling this way, I'm going to prove that I can get through this. And, uh, and yeah, coaching is what helped me really open my eyes to my blind spots, right? Well, they're blind spots. You can't see them unless you have somebody help reveal them and how incredibly powerful that is when you can embrace it and recognize it and then make changes and see that it's okay. That it's not just you, right. That you can have people who shouldn't be on the team who are contributing to these things, feeding into that type of behavior as well. So I can see how that was a really profound experience for you. Yes. And I was ready. I wasn't ready before I wasn't ready. I was too busy looking for the answer in people. Yeah. When it was like a Dorothy moment instead. Yeah. You know, it's such a powerful thing. I think, you know, we don't know how to be leaders. There's not school. We don't learn about emotional intelligence as young children when we should and managing our emotions, unless you have trouble managing your emotions and you're in some, you know, sort of, you know, uh, program that helps you figure that out. Like all of these life skills around self-awareness and emotional intelligence and, and being able to, you know, show up with accountability and how do you, how do you build relationships? We are figuring that out all on our own. And we, we only figure it out by making those mistakes. Right. And by seeing like, okay, here's how I contributed to it. But wouldn't it be nice if, if we had those type of really powerful life lessons early on, like we would have figured out so much more than at 42 going like, Oh God, I really stepped in it. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like, it would totally be like that. Or to at least warn you that this can happen. Like this, the scamming alone, I was like, I, I like this guy literally flew his little Cessna 
to meet me in Orlando for lunch. Like it was like an American greed episode. Like he did all, <laughs> like, really you, I, the grooming, I, I, I didn't even know what was happening, but it would have yeah. been nice if someone would have said, listen, yeah. There's more than just internet scams. You're going to have these type of scammers. Like I had no idea, you know, that yeah. that would happen. Yep. And were there pink flags, like looking back on it? Uh, yes. Yeah. Red flag. <laughs> yeah. I mean, especially yeah. the flying the Cessna, like yeah. that alone, there was yeah. no reason that this person needed to do that, but they did it because then you think, oh my gosh, they're a successful entrepreneur. Yeah. They own a Cessna and they can fly, which would normally take a, maybe a three hour or two hour drive. They flew to meet me. And, and then this person was older, way older than me. Like could have been my dad or grandpa at that time. Mm-hmm. Didn't matter. They're a scam. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so, I understand. Yeah. So it was and just other things like lack of having an agreement. Yeah. You know, just things that people should really emphasize. These are things you should have in place. If you don't have it in place, goodbye, move on to something else. Yeah. I'm so with you. Um, my new rule is pink flags are red flags and they're no flags. <laughs> like I just do not have time for that nonsense. And if you're starting to see those things, right, it's really easy to talk yourself into like, oh no, I'm just overreacting or I'm reading too much into this and no pink flags or red flags or no flags. And that's been my new rule. And it has saved me so much heartache and headache because I'm just not going to tolerate those types of things in my life. Like, why should I, if you're seeing that type of behavior, that's kind of like funky right now, it's only going to get worse as you get to know that person better or the relationships develop, uh, develop. So why waste the time and the energy and the emotional drain that's going to happen when things fall apart because they will right? pink flags, turn into red flags. They sure do. They sure mm-hmm. do. And you know, there's, there's, you gotta move on. I mean, yeah. especially now, I mean, I, I just, I just can't believe that there's gotta be this one person or this, there's only one vendor. Like you gotta just let it go and it's okay. You're going to find something way better. Yeah, absolutely. And when one door closes, another one opens. And I think that people are so afraid of that, whether it's letting a really high performing, but toxic employee go, right. I cannot live without this person. What will I do? And then you let that person go and you realize like, oh my God, the void that is filled, um, immediately because I let that person go and let other people rise, or I can't let this client go because if I do, I won't have any revenue, but you realize it was not profitable and it opened a door for a new one. All of those fears keep those doors closed. And you're right. If you just move on and let it go, a new door will always open. You just have to be brave enough to, 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 to step into it. And And that's scary. It is. It definitely is, but you got to do it. It's so, so important to do. There was a time where we were really focused on like diversity and inclusion training and analytics, because that's how things started back when I was at Patrick. And I remember about almost nine years ago, I, I just, I just saw out in the landscape and I felt it. I was like, you know, if I don't pivot, I'm going to always be this diversity person and there's nothing wrong with it. And we still do that today, but I'm like, I, we need to expand. And it was scary because I didn't really know what was going to happen. I didn't know what that meant. 
And, you know, fast forward today, it's been such a blessing and it's just amazing what we now do. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Like, um, my husband and I talk about this all the time around like my speaking and he's like, you know, you really need to appeal to women, like women who want to be CEOs, women growing their companies. And while I totally agree and I love that, and I love working with women, like I also don't want to just be the female CEO, female speaker talking to other women. Like I, you know, I want to break through that where men say, yeah, you know what? She's a badass. She knows how to scale a company. She gives great advice. Like I'm going to listen to her. And I know that's a, you know, a leap, um, that, that that's going to have to be made, but you know, it's hard to like, just say, I would just want to be pigeonholed because I'm a woman. I should only speak to women, right? Because you're a person of color. You should be the person who is talking about diversity and inclusion. And it's really easy to let yourself get pigeonholed there. And, and I hear you like, I don't want to do that either. Yeah. I just, and it, and it was scary. Cause I was like, wow, I got me this far. And I was like, what's going to happen. But I'm just so, so glad that I did that because there's so many layers to who I am yeah. and to our company too. I think that's the key, right? It's so complex and it's all about intersectionality, right? Your story is so unique and it's not because of any one aspect of you. It's the combination of it all, but it's so easy to be put into stereotypes and then feel like you have to live in that box and it's freeing when you can break out of it and say, you know, Hey, look, I did all of these things and it's not what, you know, a stereotype would, would put you in. I know I sell high pressure water blasting tools and sewer cleaning tools. Right. Like people look at me and they're like, Hmm, how did you get into this? Right. It's like really breaking the norms. I'm sure it's that way for you too. It is, it is, but it's like, you, then you're just like, it seems normal after a while. Like, yeah, we're breaking the norm, but then it's like, this is where our passion and our creativity comes from. And, and I just, I just love it. I'm like, you know, at the end of the day, it's great to be able to like, solve a problem, whatever it is that they have and gain mastery. You're really good at it. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the, the, the other component of it is, is you, you know, continue to experiment, to explore your purpose and to get really, really good at what you do. That mastery just adds to more purpose. And that mastery is what builds your reputation. It was allows you to start a new business when you already have a successful one, because you're like, I know that I can help people, you know, be better to grow, to, to break into these new markets and to succeed like me. Yes. That's so true. It's true. I mean, cause it's, it's in an area where the small business administration recently said it can take 18 months to get your first contract. Yeah. And there's ways to speed that up and there's different tips and techniques. So if you're willing to wait that long, you can at least be profitable, but yeah, that mastery has definitely come out of all of these years and the successes and the failures and obstacles. Yeah, absolutely. So do you feel like you've had to work harder to overcome any stereotypes that, that people have about you, that boxes that people have tried to put you in? In the beginning, there were comments made about like my age. There, there were these weird age comments, but see, I didn't understand what they were then. Now I know because it was, it was this interesting space. And sometimes it comes up where there were comments made about age and then people questioning 
And then over here on this other end, because I was still doing diversity work, there was this whole, and now this push around like generations in the workforce and Gen Z and Y and this and that, and these young people and uh, whatever, fill in the blank, right? So there were always like weird age comments. So now I know that it had nothing to do with age and it was just people's own insecurity coming out. And, but at the time I thought, oh my gosh, I have to like be super boss, small business owner lady and have to further dress the part and be that owner or, or something. I don't know. It was like, I was like trying to be this like small business CEO, boss lady, Barbie. The other thing that I had to overcome was just really understanding business Mm -hmm. because I was, so when you're in this kind of government space, you're an extension of the government. So yes, they're your client, but you're still kind of intertwined. You're an extension, all of that. But then when it came to looking um, to partner with other businesses or trying to learn or going to outreach events, people were just like unnecessarily cutthroat. And this is why I say unnecessarily, because in government contracting, there's, there's a ton of work. There's, there's enough work for anyone who's interested. There's a ton of work. And then the third thing that came across was everybody wanted to buy my business. Yeah. Everybody was like, I want to buy your business. I want, and, and, and I, and again, at that stage, I'm talking like a couple of years in, I didn't really understand what I had because again, in government contracting, I still have these certifications, but um, there are these certifications that will help you land sole source contracts and to help you grow significantly. And so now looking back it's clear that people thought, oh, I can manipulate her. Yeah. I can buy her business. So then I can leverage what she has. And thankfully, that was never my why. My and my exit has never been selling the firm. Right. And that was just weird. You know, it's like, you know, you go from grad school, you start your business, and then like four years later, oh, I buy your business. I'm like, what? What is going on here? why Why? what do you know that I don't know (laughs) I Uh, I mean it it was crazy so yeah those are all fun times fun times (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about diversity how you know with everything that's been happening over the last couple of years how has diversity been woven into the government contracting world is it something that's there is it not are you experiencing anything Uh, different than you did years before Yeah, it's, it's been, oh man, it's been, it's been a road. So when I first started government contracting, it was during the the Bush two administration. And so I was involved in a lot of diversity and inclusion. I don't know if people are aware of this. I don't know if they think it was like an Obama thing. I don't know, but during the Bush administration, that's where I was involved in a lot of government stuff a lot. Mm -hmm. And so then when Obama became president, it was pretty much like it continued. I, but around, but by that time we had already begun pivoting. Right. So on the private sector side, still involved government. And when I say government, meaning strategic work, analytic work, training, we did a lot of five day train the trainers for the national guard across the United States. During the Trump administration at the tail end, he made, I think, um, 
specifically diversity and inclusion was prohibited training. Right. So they couldn't have any of it at all. So as far as when it came to us, we weren't really involved in diversity and inclusion. The, the, the training that we offered that I would label as diversity and inclusion really centered around different civil rights. This is, this is government language. They had an office of civil rights and the training centered around different civil right rules and regulations. So because of that, it was exempt from the executive order. Now, fast forward to today, the floodgates have opened. And so not only with, I would say, at least on the government side, because of the change in administration, now we've responded to diversity um, requests for proposals. Current clients are interested in diversity work. Many of my colleagues are booked. And I've seen the change on the private sector side during the Trump administration continuing on into the Biden administration. So on the government side, a lot more opportunities for training, strategy, assessment, very similar to what private sector sees. And then the private sector side has really um, taken off too. And so are you going to be pivoting back to be able to address more of that? Or do you think you'll stay, continue to stay focused on the current, the biggest drivers of your business? We will still provide diversity and inclusion services. We actually responded to an opportunity with an agency. I would love to do work for them. It honest, it's really a, a perfect fit for us. Yeah. We take them on as I see them. Yeah. Yeah. So because what, and this is a private sector too. What will happen is um, somebody will say, we want training. Can you provide diversity training? And that's your contract. It may be you have to train the workforce or you provide e-learning and that's basically it or you know, some, some kind of little sprinkle of something and they expect it's going to like magically change everyone. That type of work, I don't like getting involved in at all. Yeah. Like <laughs> so, yeah, so it's, that's why I'm very, very particular when it comes to diversity and inclusion. It's one thing to create training around civil rights rules and regulations because they're actual rules and regulations that have to be followed opposed to, well, we need this because I think we need it. Let's just do it. Yeah. Let's just check a, check a box. Everybody can say they took their course and now we all have understanding of each other more and it's so not real. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't really do much of that whatsoever. Yeah. I don't blame you. And how do you weave uh, diversity and inclusion into your own company? Is it, is it something that's front and center for you? What do you do? It, it is through our actions and through leveraging the team. Yeah. So in the culture, so number one, it starts, I mean, at the top with myself with the, in the culture. So we're a culture we're around, we're pros, pros, we're experts, we're passionate you know, we're very flexible, Gumby-like, we're super creative, like MacGyver. And so, and, and we're, we're all nice. <laughs> like, yeah. we truly are. And we're all about making lives easier, period. So that's, so that's number one. So if you are not that type of a person, you are not a fit here, period. Yep. We have a no asshole rule. Yep. You're not going to be here. The other thing <laughs> is, 
Um, just by nature of how we recruit and what we know, because with my background in industrial organizational psychology, the team is super diverse. Yeah. And the inclusion part comes in through the work itself. So there are things internally, opportunities where people can bring out skill sets that otherwise they just may not be using in their normal day to day. And then I also have, especially through a couple of my government clients, where they encourage it. Like, for instance, there was this situation around giving credit to to people for taking a course in this database. And one of my employees came up with this awesome way. And I had no idea that she was big into processes and procedures. And I, I mean, I had no idea. How would I know this, right? But that to me is, it shows that she trusts us. She trusts the agency. She at least had some kind of interest because she could have just said, I don't know, and not cared. Mm-hmm. And that to me is a sign of having an inclusive environment because people care. And that's vital. Because if you don't care, it doesn't matter how much you get paid. If you're working at home or you got a corner office or whatever, if you don't care, you are checked out and you're going to, it's going to show in your behavior. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I love it. I love how it is such, um, it feels like it's really organic with you. And I think that's what matters, right? Nobody wants to have a program shoved down their throat that doesn't feel real or organic, whether it's, you know, EOS or, you know, diversity and inclusion or some other, you know, book of the month, uh, uh, theory, uh, philosophy. And so the fact that you do it just organically by the type of people you hire and, and the type of culture that you create and the behaviors that, that you exhibit as a leader. And then, you know, with the rest of your employees, I think it feels much more natural that way. And people buy into it. I think people, they, yeah. Yeah. When you're BSing people, they know it. They know. And, you know, I, I also, though I've like taken, I, I literally don't operate the company anymore. I, I hold monthly ask me anything yeah. and they literally ask me anything. <laughs> so I think that ha- happens. That helps too, because I'm very transparent. All right. I have two final questions uh, to wrap things up. So what advice do you have for leaders who are looking to grow their companies? Like you've grown, you know, you've won all kinds of awards and you're on all kinds of lists. So, you know, what, what's your advice? You know, the advice is you really have to look and you have to look at your why, acknowledge your why, and you have to accept your why, right? Like really, really accept it. And you have to have humility and you, you got to have a security with yourself because when there was this insecurity, I didn't, I didn't really apply for any awards and, you know, the team wasn't necessarily super excited to always work for me. Maybe they said it to be nice. I don't know. You, know, <laughs> you definitely have to ask them. I'm making assumptions, but those are the things that really help is your why. Like my why from day one was always to help people. I've always wanted to help people. Everything has been about other people, period. And so I know I'm the least important person in all of my companies, hands down. Least important. I plant little seeds and they grow them into redwood trees. I am very unimportant, super duper unimportant. And so when you understand that, that you have people who are willing to dedicate their life. The majority of our time is spent working. Now, working now may be from a kitchen, 
but it's still meant it's spent working. You have people dedicated to you to work for you. You have to understand, okay, great. I have to show appreciation to them and you have to treat them right. And when you do, they're going to be loyal to you. They're going to perform at levels in which you can't, you know, you're going to be blown away. The other piece is you still hold people accountable. You have to have accountability as a great leader. And you also have to be very clear as far as what you're looking for. All right. And then my final question is the name of this podcast is reflect forward, which has many meaning meanings. Um, what does reflect forward mean to you? Oh, that's so beautiful. I've been thinking about that reflecting forward. So what I see reflecting forward represents is you're willing to put yourself in a position of introspection, introspection of what you want to happen, how you will make it happen and how you will ensure it's going to happen. That's what it's about. Not going back, not being regretful, not, oh, damn COVID, not none of that. Like you, we, we can't control the past. The past is the past. So you have to reflect forward and just like, okay, you can take those lessons. You can take those kinds of bruises, dust yourself off and constantly think about those three things. So then you are successful and then you're constantly moving forward because like it or not, we're going forward. So you got to keep going forward. Got to keep moving forward. Yep. I love it. Love it. Beautiful answer. Thank you. All right, Kezi, how can people find you? Please connect with me on LinkedIn. It's the best way. It's like Kizzy Lightball Parks. You'll see it. Kizzy Parks. Please connect with me. Um, my govconwinners.com website is available. Take a look. It's still kind of under construction and it will continue to evolve. So keep that in mind. But connect with me on LinkedIn. Let me know that you listen to the podcast. Feel free to um, engage. And I would love to, to, to connect. Wonderful. Well, this has been such a fun conversation. I learned so much, um, very valuable information. So thank you for taking the time to come on and drop some knowledge on us today. Anytime. Thank you. All right. Thanks everyone. Hold tight. I'll be right back. All right. I'm back everyone. Thank you so much for listening to that interview. I really hope that you enjoyed uh, meeting Kizzy. She is so much fun. I had a, a great time talking with her. That's it for today. I look forward to hosting you on the next episode of Reflect Forward. And if you like this podcast, please, please, please uh, like it, subscribe it, comment on it, share it, review it. That is always very helpful. Thanks so much and have a fantastic day. We'll see you next week.